Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Using prompting effectively is critical for the learners that we work with and for their success. So let's talk about the hierarchy of prompting so that we can use prompts as effectively as possible. So at work this week, somebody had missed a meeting and she was confronted about it. And she said, well, you didn't send a calendar invite. If it's not in my calendar, it's not going to happen. And I was thinking, I'm the same way. If I don't get an alert from my calendar or something isn't in my calendar as a reminder or as a prompt, I will not know that that's going to happen. And that's how we use prompts in our everyday lives. The best is my anniversary is coming up and my husband said something about our anniversary date. And it was terrible because I'm the one who actually was like, when is it again? And I had to go to the calendar to look because I always get the reminder a couple of days ahead of time. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm a terrible individual, but yeah, I love, love those calendar prompts. So prompts really are a way to guide our learners to the correct response. There's the stimulus, the discriminative stimulus, there's the behavior or the response, and then there's the reinforcement or punishment. Right. So what prompt that we're talking about is going to be after the stimulus. So after the instruction, after the presentation of the material, that's what we're referring to as a prompt. It's before the response from the learner. Excellent. I like the way you put that into simple terms. I don't like talking about like discriminative stimulus. Can we just call it an instruction? Forget the term. (laughs) I know. Call it an instruction. So right after the instruction, you're going in with a prompt if you need to. Um, Prompts are typically based on um, prior history, right? So if you can predict that your your learner is going to error, that's when you want to put in the prompt. And the reason you want to put in a prompt um, before your learner errors is so they don't get a chance to practice errors. And, uh, you know, a story that I always tell about prompting, and I'm laughing at this because Sharon and I tell the exact same story and we argue about whose story it actually is, um, but it's driving from point A to point B. So, you know, if 
I or Shira apparently gets lost. If I'm going to someone's house for the very first time and I get lost going there and I take a back way in and I, I figure out how to get there eventually. The next time I go without my GPS, I'm probably not going to go directly from point A to point B. I'll probably go off memory and make that same mistake again and go around the block a couple of times before I actually get to their place. Um, and that's what we don't want to happen with our learners when they are learning something. We want them to go directly from point A to point be and get there the most efficient way. So that's why we prompt is so that they don't get a chance to practice those errors and build that into their regular routine. We're basically teaching them what the correct response is. So we don't expect them to know and we don't want them to guess and we don't want them to learn the error. So if we're going to ask them, you know, which one says moo and we know that they don't know it, then let's help them get to the right answer. Well, it's the cow that says moo. Um, and that doesn't have to be intrusive. It could be something like only having the picture of the cow out. And, you know, that's the only option. It could be something like the picture of the cow is much closer than the other pictures. Um, it could be that the picture of the cow is much bigger than the other pictures. It could be that we're pointing to the picture of the cow. So there's many ways to, for us to help prompt the learner towards the right response um, in a way that helps learning and makes it you know, somewhat enjoyable for them. Absolutely. We want to model as much as possible. I mean, think about when we're not teaching and we're just playing with you know, your own child or your niece or your nephew or you know, your your friends, kids, something or other, you know, you're, you're constantly modeling, right? So, you know, Shira said, you know, there's ways to teach how that a cow says moo. And another one of those ways is to actually like play with a farm set or be at a farm and be like, Hey, look, it's a cow. Check out that animal. It's a cow. It says moo. A cow says moo. And through that repetition and that modeling is another way to teach that. Um, so you want that constant repetition and you want kids to feel successful. You know, I think about, you know, me going somewhere else and learning a different language, you know, and if I had to order coffee in another language and someone didn't give me the words to, to ask for a coffee, I mean, I would feel really frustrated. And then, you know, after a while, I'm not getting this coffee, I'd probably feel like a failure. So I would want somebody like Google Translate um, to hold my hand and tell me how to order a coffee so that I can get through and I can feel successful. It's the same thing with our learners. You know, we don't want them to fail. We don't want to set them up for failure. Um, when I first started in this field, you know, we were talking about prompting versus something called a no-no prompt. And I don't think anyone uses that anymore, nor should they use it anymore. But um, if you're not familiar with that, uh, a no-no prompt used to be, you know, you'd have out a few items and you'd say, you know, point to the red one and you would just look at them and the learner would, you know, maybe point to the blue one and you would say, no, that's it. You wouldn't give any feedback. And they would look at you and they might point to the blue one again, or they might point to the yellow one and you go, no. And it wasn't until after two no's, then you could say, that's the red one. So you had to offer two no's before you said, yeah, that's the red one, which is not cool. Like, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want a guest to try and figure out what the right one is. You know, I want somebody to say, which one's the red one? It's this one right here. Yeah, that one. Awesome. You did it. And then fade your prompts out systematically. And prompts are not all or nothing either. There's so many ways that you can prompt. And the general rule that we say is the least amount of prompting required to make the student the most successful. So there's a whole hierarchy of prompts and, and some starting more intrusive and going into less intrusive. So there are you know physical prompts that would guide the learner if they're learning how to print, you may put your hand over their hand and help guide them to print the certain letters that would be a physical prompt. 
um, all the way through to like partial physical, physical, verbal prompts, gestures, and the least intrusive prompt is usually something visual. Um, those types of prompts you may never need to fade. It could be positional, like I said, putting cards differently or pointing. So if you're teaching and you think that your learner doesn't know the answer, then you want to choose the prompt that is going to be the least intrusive. So you may not start with a physical prompt. Maybe they just need a point or they just need a gesture. Um, and that will make them the most successful. So, you know, if the gesture wasn't effective, then you may go into a partial physical or a model or a full physical and, and moving up that till you get success. Um, but you don't want to start with the most intrusive. And then you want to be able to fade your prompt throughout. So instead of waiting, you know, 10 trials of success at this prompt level, we often don't put prompt levels into our teaching steps. Because unless a student really needs it, if a student is able to, we want you to fade that prompt as quickly as possible. Like get in, make the gesture and get out. Like don't then teach them 10 trials with that gesture prompt. Um, gesture a couple times, teach them a couple times and see if you could fade that as quickly as possible. Um, and that's really just good teaching. Um, you know, I talk about fading prompts and how it's so important to fade prompts almost right from the get-go because what we find is some learners get really prompt dependent. So if you're in there and you're offering the same prompt over and over and over again, and, you know, some people I've seen you walk in and, you know, you, you can't fade your prompt for two or three days of, you know, 100% success rate or something like that, you know, oftentimes the student will become dependent on that prompt. And sometimes you'll see the student just stop and hesitate and, and wait and wait for that prompt. Um, so that's why you want to try and fade as quickly as you possibly can. But at the same time, when you're fading your prompt, think about what's okay in the natural environment, right? And what, what the natural environment looks like. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there's lots of prompts happening all the time. Like Shira said at the beginning of this, you know, we all have a calendar and we all follow a schedule according to a calendar. Maybe not all of us, but we should be following a schedule <laughs> according to a calendar. If I don't, I'm lost. Um, I follow a grocery list because if I don't follow the grocery list, then I come home with everything except for the milk that I went to the store to buy. Um, so, you know, we have some cues in our own lives that are fine and that we can't live without. So we shouldn't be feeding all prompts necessarily from our learners. But for instance, you know, a lot of the times I will teach a student to use a calendar almost from the get-go so that that can be an effective prompt that can stay in place. I teach learners how to follow a list almost from the get-go so that they can learn to follow a to-do list really early in life, follow recipes, follow all of those prompts that I never have to fade. Um, I live in a big city and in the city, you know, we have a subway and, you know, getting off the subway, you know, sometimes I get off at a different station and I can't remember like which way to go. So what do I do? I either follow the people, which is you know, basically like a gesture prompt or a model prompt. I'm looking where everybody else is going. Um, or I follow the signs and I look up at the signs and I'm looking to see where the exit is that way. So, you know, we make sure that we're teaching our learners those relevant prompts within the community if we're going to be fading. An important thing to remember is that a verbal prompt is going to be the hardest to fade. It's also often the most intuitive and people who mean well, and they really want to help the learner get to the right answer. And they want to remind them of what they need to do. And don't forget, you need to move to the next step. Um, essentially, you're creating a dependent. So we want to think about introducing prompts that can create more independence that will make them less dependent on the adults around them. And so very often that verbal prompt is going to be the very hardest debate and the one that you should really avoid. 
So for instance, with life skills, you know, if I'm teaching a student how to wash their hands, for instance, and, you know, I'm saying, okay, turn on the tap. Okay, pump the soap. Okay, do this next, do this next. I often find that a learner will stop and wait for my next cue. And, you know, if they are stopping and waiting for me, it means that I've embedded myself into that teaching interaction. If I've embedded myself, it means the learner is not independent at all. So what we really want to do is we need to take a step back. We need to get rid of that verbal instruction and think about in our heads, what's a different way that we can prompt that's extremely effective, um, but that can be faded easier, right? Maybe we prompt with pictures instead. Maybe the learner follows a visual schedule of all the steps of hand washing, and then we can fade that out eventually, or we don't fade it out, um, but it's way better. And they're still independent with a visual schedule in place versus us being in place. So if you think of the prompt hierarchy as like a ladder, and at the top being like the most intrusive, which could be a physical prompt, and at the bottom being the least intrusive, which could be, you know, a time delay or a gesture or something like that. And all the other prompts are somewhere in the middle. You're going to move up and down that ladder depending on your learner. So sometimes you might start at the top at the most intrusive, which would be a most to least prompting. And you might start at the most, the highest level of prompting and fade down to a lower level of prompting as the, the learner is successful. So you might do that with, you know, hand washing. You might just, you know, prompt them through it and then fade yourself back as they get more successful. I find when teaching a learner a new skill, that you typically want to go from most to least prompting, right? You want that errorless teaching because you don't want to have your student practice those mistakes. But once a student has already learned the skill, if they've got the skill in their repertoire or Maybe they had it in their repertoire, but it hasn't been generalized completely. That's when you can go in with something called least to most prompting. So at least to most prompting is, is you start with the least amount of prompting that you think would be required. So you're going to prompt them with a gesture or with a time delay. And if they're not successful with that, then you move up the ladder a little bit and then you might do a model or a partial physical. And if they're still not successful, then you move into a full physical. Um, and that that's a very different model of prompting and you're increasing the level of prompts so that they can get to be successful. Another common misconception is the difference between error correction and prompting. Sometimes it'll be called a prompt when it happens after the response. So they've already gotten the response wrong, and then sometimes it will be referred to as a prompt. Essentially, that's an error correction, and a prompt, by definition, has to be before the response to get them to the successful response. Thank you, and that's huge, because I do synonymously, synonymously use those terms, and I shouldn't, right? So it is given instruction, prompt, learner responds, and then they get feedback, right? That is a prompt. If the learner responds, if you give an instruction, the learner errors, and then you have to go in, you don't go in with a prompt, you go in with error correction. So you're, you're sure you're prompting the learner through, but it's it's actually the error correction. You're correcting what they've done and trying again. And that helps us understand why that's not considered a, a correct response. Because if you are going in with a prompt and you prompted before the response, and then you can record that as a data point. But if they've responded and then you're error correcting that incorrect response, we that's that's incorrect no matter how much you've prompted them through the correct response but if they've gotten it correct at the current prompt level before the response then it's still considered correct does that make sense wow that's a lot <laughs> that's a lot check our post on error correction and it will be clearer the other thing you can check out too is transfer trials right so when you are prompting and when you are doing error correction you always want to follow up with a transfer trial meaning hey let's I, I, let's take a chance and let's practice this together. Um, so check out that post as well. 
Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com. And make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.